If you're at Romans 14, verse 1, say, I'm there. Cool. Let's get a little bit of context. It says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. And it's funny, I was looking at this morning, I had a plan to go through the first four verses in one big chunk. But I thought about this first verse, and you look at that, and if you have no context, you don't remember that we're writing to Romans, right? Paul hasn't been there yet, but he's writing to them, and he's speaking into their time, into their culture, that's who this was originally written to. And he says right off the bat, receive one who is weak in the faith. Can I tell you, sometimes we think weak in the faith means that, oh man, that means you don't believe, right? Weak in the faith means, oh, you don't have like strong confidence in God and who God is. But can I tell you, we're going to find out in this section, those that are considered the weak in the faith, this is the term that Paul is going to use. He's going to clarify what this means. And to be weak in faith in this section does not mean that you don't believe in God. As a matter of fact, it believes that there is a God and I have to make sure that I am walking in the perfect convictions of everything he lays on my heart. And it's funny because we look at that and go, well, that's a good thing, right? Can I tell you what happens sometimes? I've been this guy. <laughs> I think that I am so much stronger if I can lay a legalistic trip on others. If I can tell you, oh, you can't be doing that. How dare you do that? God's not going to honor that. That's actually technically, and we're not talking about sin. Let me be clear. Amen? Not talking about sin. We're talking about gray areas of sorts. We'll call them undefined. Let me give you three or four examples that we might be talking about. In common day, we're going to see they're talking about meat and vegetables. We look at that and we're like, what is this talking about to us today, right? The illustration may vary, but the principle stays the same. For us today, it might be things like smoking. <laughs> Do you know for a long time, it was said, if you smoke, you're going to hell, period. You like smoking, you're going to get a lot of smoke. That was kind of the thought, right? <laughs> if you drink a drop of alcohol, you can't be saved. I actually came out of a church that believed that. And I, to be honest, I'm a pastor. I don't touch the stuff. But I'll be, I'll be honest with you. There's a thought that that makes you are not a Christian. I think there's more vague ones, like entertainment. Like, oh, you can't watch anything that is not the chosen or something. I don't know. Whatever people have their thing, which even that, you can divide the church on that idea too, by the way. Everyone's mad about something these days. And you have something that someone is getting frustrated about. And you're like, you can't do that. You can't do that. What Paul says is that these are, as he calls here, doubtful things or, better translated, debatable or disputable things. See, what this means is there's some areas in the Christian walk that you may have a liberty, we'll use this word a lot today, where the Lord allows you to participate in something. We're not talking about sin. I'm going to stress that so many times today, okay? We're not talking about lust and sexual immorality. We're not talking about lying and cheating and stealing. We're talking about these things that the Lord ministers to our hearts through the Holy Spirit as we study the Word of God and come to a conclusion if they're acceptable before our God. Does that make sense? It's a wild section because what many people will hear today as I preach this, I'm going to tell you, they're going to hear one of two things. James has just validated that I can go out and do whatever I want. That's one group. The other group is going to say, you see, I'm telling everyone they need to get more like me and get in their convictions. <laughs> can you see how a church could begin to split in Romans 14? We have to make sure that we understand the heart of this section and we aren't 
it's interesting. It says not to dispute over doubtful things. Receive one another. That word receive means to take into friendship with sincere heart. Can I tell you what I've sometimes done in my legalistic stances? I see the brother, who by the way, I think is weaker because he has a liberty. According to this, I'm the weaker one because I'm like so insistent on my legalistic standing. But I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring them into this thing. I'm going to convince them to get like me. The context in the original language says you receive people in and you let the Lord deal with them and you represent them and edify them as the Lord leads you. Amen? We have a tendency to say my way is the right way. And you know who we're going to have to answer to for that? <laughs> the Lord. So worry about yourself before the Lord. Receive in everyone. And man, pray that the Holy Spirit is doing the job of the Holy Spirit, not you. <laughs> So many times in my life I believed I am the Holy Spirit. I have to convict. I have to chase. I have to convince. Can I just tell you? Live above reproach and pray for those that you love. Amen? Receive those in in love. Does that all make sense? Cool, because we're going to hit it here. Look at verse 2 through 4. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So again, the illustration in this section, he, he gives this example of a non-essential matter at that time, which was, are you eating meat and vegetables, or are you just eating vegetables? And if you walk in, you're like, what is this talking about, right? We're not talking about a dispute between guys that eat double-doubles, In-N-Out, and vegans, okay? That's not what we're talking about. You know, oh, I order only a grilled cheese at In-N-Out, and you're one of those sick double-double guys. That's not what this is talking about. Praise the Lord, if you have a conviction to chase after the vegan life and be healthy or fit or whatever, that ain't my choice but bless the Lord. That's why I moved to Texas. California can't do the vegan thing, man. But the reality is in this section, there were people that said, if you eat meat in Rome, it could have been offered to gods, like Zeus. You can read 1 Corinthians 8 and 1 Corinthians 10. It's all about not stumbling one another in the things that we put in our mouths. To not stumble each other in the actions that we take, in the liberties that we have. And what he says here in verse 2, he says, One believes that he can eat everything, but he who is weak only eats vegetables. <laughs> Think about that. The one that was weak probably thought he was the strongest in the room. Because he says, oh, I don't partake of that uncleanness, that grossness. Remember when we were in the book of Acts? <laughs> Remember Peter? Rise, kill and, kill and eat Peter. He says, oh, no, I don't touch anything unclean. God says, don't call anything that I've cleansed common or unclean. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of his heart. The reality is, some people would be getting hung up and they say, man, you might be eating something that was offered to Zeus. See, the thing was, they would have these, these animals, they'd come in, they'd bring them in, they'd sacrifice them to Zeus, and they'd be like, we got all this meat, we can turn a profit. Let's sell it to everyone. And Christians would walk through and be like, dude, this meat's on sale and it looks good, right? Well, some people would be like, dude, that could have like, I don't know, it's like demonic and sick or something. And see, we're going to touch on how to handle those kinds of things, but right off the bat, it says, don't let him who eats meat, like, despise those that don't. This is common in the church. Where I partake in a liberty and someone tries to guilt trip me, I feel like, on whatever it is. And what do I do? I begin to despise them. Oh, they think they're better than me. 
Oh, they think they're so good. And you know what the other side's doing? They go, oh man, that guy's a sinner over there in his liberty. I'm, I'm not just judging him, I'm condemning him. When we see the word judge in this section, it has to do with condemnation. Remember what Romans 8.1 said. It said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? We have a tendency, though, to condemn others in the way they act because we may not approve of certain liberties. I have to stress again, we're not talking about sin. <laughs> sin is sin, and we are to judge according to the judgment and measure that we would put upon ourselves. Jesus taught us that. If I call you, hey, you shouldn't go down that road because the Bible says X, Y, and Z, that's called exhortation, admonishment. That's a good thing. We want that in the fellowship, right? But to have someone come in and partake in a liberty and say, oh, no, 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 you're going to hell for that. <laughs> this is what Paul is saying. We can't be doing this. Remember the other thing here. We have a relatively new young church with much of its roots coming out of Judaism. We have many people. We know that the whole, uh, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, the reason it was needed was because people said, what are we supposed to do? We have Gentiles who are like, they, they brought up in a culture of the world and we have Jews who kept the dietary law. How do we bring these things together? And if you remember, James and the guys at the council, they said there's a few things the Gentile didn't do. Don't worship false gods. One, you don't have to be circumcised. And you also do not have to practice those dietary laws, but don't, don't eat things as strangled, as strangled of its blood. I believe to, that you don't stumble your Jewish brother. <laughs> Imagine the Jewish brother who says, no, I still have a, a, a conviction that I should uphold these things. And you go and sit down next to your Gentile brother and he's just cutting into a T-bone steak, right? You're like, or let's do better, a big old slab of pork chop, right? You're like, oh, can't have that, right? Imagine that division that could potentially start. You would have the veggie eaters. <laughs> the, the real holy ones, by the way, they would think. And then you have the meat eaters over here, the carnivores, right? <laughs> and the church would begin to split. And he says, that's not how this is to be in this section. He also says, remember, let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. God has received both the meat eater and the veggie only eater by grace through faith. Amen? You might say, oh, well, God started with grace and faith, but I have grown in so many good convictions that I'm so holy and righteous now. <laughs> the Lord would laugh at that, by the way, right? Because the Lord is righteous and holy and perfect. We need to continually remember that both parties here are only available, are only able to walk into the presence of God because of His work, not their own. So many times we begin to hang our hat on our achievements. Praise the Lord for convictions and growth in the Lord. That's good. Maturing in the Lord is a good thing. But never think that you've earned your way into heaven because of your righteous convictions of sorts. Does that make sense? He says, don't judge each other like this. But he does say at the end of verse 4 here, he says, who are you to judge another's servant? For to his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. You see, what Paul is reminding us here is that believers have been received by God and what we are now are His servants. And the Greek word for servant is oiketes. This is not that usual, like, doulos or bondservant word. This is a domestic servant as if almost like a slave that lives in the house of a master. And let me tell you, a master wouldn't be worried about judging next door. He'd worry about his own household. And that master that was serving that household didn't worry about his master next door. He said, I'm here to please my master here in this house. And what this is saying is that we begin to believe that we are others' masters, that they are to answer to us. 
That's so wrong. <laughs> Again, admonish one another, encourage one another in the things that are clearly scripturally defined as sin. But can I tell you, in the things that are liberties, and we're going to get more in-depth of what these things look like, we need to remember that only God alone is the master. James 4.12, it says, There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? <laughs> I will tell you, though, there's a real heaviness in that verse because you think about it. I don't know if you ever heard someone tell you, hey, you know what? You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. That's like saying, hey, I don't want to get pushed down. I'd rather get hit by a Mack truck, right? Like, oh, dude, only God can judge me. Do you understand how huge that is? That you're going to stand before a holy, perfect, righteous God? Wouldn't you rather me, a, 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 a jacked-up dude, judge you? No, I want to stand before God. That's terrifying, right? Do you know what it says here in verse 4 again? It says, He will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. I love this. God's desire is not that we all get falling over and judged and condemned. God's desire is that we would stand. So many times my desire in judging someone else is that they would fall and that I would be exalted. God is the exalted one. His desire is not that you would fall, that you would stand. What a difference in the heart of God and my wicked heart. <laughs> it says in Jude one twenty four, it reminds us that God is faithful to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. I love this. If we yield to the things that the Lord calls us to observe, we will be blessed. Obedience is the joy of the believer. We talk about that often. If you worry about pleasing your master, you let that Lord, your master, lead you in the things you should do or don't do, you're going to be blessed for that and he will make you stand. Amen? Look at 5 through 9. It says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So now Paul is going to exhort the believer to do as the Lord leads each one. And in verse 5, Paul moves from the matter of diet, vegetables versus meat, what could have been sacrificed to God or not sacrificed to a God, to days. Another thing for us that isn't real common, you may have heard this, if you ever get hit up by someone that will tell you, oh, you know, the true Sabbath is on Saturday. I don't know if you've been given that one by someone. People that say that think they're just so outsmarting the church, by the way, right? They're like, oh, you guys are all messed up. It's like, man, that's not what Scripture tells us in this new covenant. Do you know that there's ten commandments and Jesus affirmed nine of them is still standing? The only one that he, the only thing he commented on the state of Sabbath was, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And you know why that changed under Jesus? Because all the other things like murder and theft and, and stealing, these things, these things are in adultery, these things are problems still. There's still sin in the new covenant. But Jesus is now our rest in the new covenant. If you believe that you're going to be saved because you observed Sabbath, look at Paul says there's nothing wrong with observing the Sabbath. Go knock yourself out. 
have a Sabbath, by the way. Can I tell you, your rest is in Jesus. Amen? We're talking about a formal Sabbath that says Saturday is the day. It must be the day. If you don't keep it, that's the mark of the beast. There's a certain group that believes that. That if you don't keep the seventh day, you're going to hell. They say it's the greatest commandment. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's a contradiction of Scripture. And when people start to lay these trips, they're not biblical. Colossians 2.16 tells us, Let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding days, or festivals, or new moons, or Sabbaths. Those things are a shadow of the things to come, Paul writes in Colossians. And the substance, the totality of it all, is in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are you living in Jesus and are you observing the Sabbath because you're in Jesus? Praise the Lord for that. If you begin to tell others that they can't be in Jesus unless they observe the Sabbath, that is not biblical. And what happens here, what Paul says, if you want to observe it, that's fine. If you don't observe it, make sure you observe it to the Lord. Don't use the Sabbath to go, like, gratify your flesh. <laughs> don't use it to go, like, I don't know, be sinful. Say, look at, thank you, Jesus, that we're not under that rule anymore. Thank you, Lord, you freed me from that. Others would say, thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath, that there's a set day that I can remember and keep it holy. Both those parties, these are liberties again. Does that make sense what a liberty is now, what we're talking about? You can partake or you can't partake. But as long as it's done unto the Lord... That's acceptable. See, we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. <laughs> you might say, well, look, I used to do this old job, now I do this new job. You change jobs, but both of those places, you are called to represent the Lord and glorify Him. Amen? If you go out to eat today at a restaurant or you go home to eat, you've got to represent the Lord as a witness before strangers or before your family. Amen? And if you decide today, I'm not eating, I'm actually fasting and seeking the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do that unto the Lord. But don't tell everyone else around you they got to do it. You let the Lord lead you into fasting, into these things. As He leads and do not judge others as if you're more holy for not partaking or for partaking in something. Too many times the church says, oh man, so-and-so listens to this, watches this. Man, they're, they're not really Christians like we are. <laughs> and I say the church, but you know who actually has done that many times? Me. <laughs> Can I tell you, I have a background I feel like is staunch legalism <laughs> that I had to be prayed out of, I believe, probably by people that were annoyed by me in the church. <laughs> And I'll tell you, there's got to be a balance in this. That yes, I call people to repentance. I call people to acknowledge and call sin, sin. But in liberties, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to convict you, lead you, and guide you, knowing that you're going to stand before the Lord. You answer to your master, you don't answer to me, and I'm going to answer to the master for myself. Amen? Too many times these things can creep into the church. You either get legalism, and sometimes the liberties can become carnality. Where we go so far into it, insisting on these things, we get into things the Lord never called us to. We have to be careful on both ends of tripping someone else or condemning someone in something the Lord has allowed. But it does say, verse 7 and 8, None of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. <laughs> Let me tell you what this means. When we came to Jesus Christ... We are no longer our own. <laughs> when you got married, married folks in here, you're no longer your own. Paul tells us this. Your body belongs to your spouse. Amen? Who are you supposed to take care of? Who are you to care for before yourself? 
marriage is this beautiful, beautiful example of a relationship with God in so many ways. But first of all, it's I'm entering this thing, I'm committing to it, even when I am struggling, even when it's difficult, I'm going to continue to put you before me. And I love it because God never calls us to do anything He hasn't already done Himself. Jesus Christ went and died on a cross while we were still sinners because He loved us so much. <laughs> and our response would be, since I am no longer my own, I'm going to live under the Lord. When I am alive, I am going to glorify Christ. But if I were to, day, to die today, I'm going to go, it's going to be gain as I go and be glorified with God. Amen? Whether you live or die, whether you eat or drink, whether you observe a day or don't observe a day, you are no longer your own. You need to make sure everything that you're doing is prayerfully in the Word, studied and confirmed and led by the Spirit that you're going to glorify God in it. <laughs> and I think this is great because it goes back to like Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Romans 12.1 says it's our reasonable service to give our lives a living sacrifice. It's reasonable and logical because Christ already gave his life for us. Amen. May I now say, my life is not about me so concerned about just getting my way all the time. My life is concerned with getting the Lord's way known to men. <laughs> that they would know the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, right? And see, it's interesting because it says in verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 9, it says... For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Do you ever think that you're, you're the master, that you're the Lord, that you're the one in charge? <laughs> if you're either living or you're dead, guess who's actually the Lord? <laughs> Jesus Christ. He proved it by living a perfect life, so he fulfilled the law perfectly. Romans 1, 4 tells us about this. He proved it according to the spirit of holiness, and then he rose from the grave to prove that he's also Lord of the dead as well as the living. <laughs> If you ever begin to think that I am on the throne, that's incorrect. Christ is the Lord that's on the throne. <laughs> Who are we to submit to? We submit to Christ. It's not my life to live in the sense that I get to navigate this thing anymore. I seek the Lord. I let Him guide. And as my master, can I tell you the Lord is such a good master? He's given us His word. Amen. He says, I'm not going to leave you here without instruction. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I'm going to give you the Spirit, another helper that will abide with you forever. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. He doesn't just leave us to guess at what we're supposed to do. If we seek the Lord, He is not the author of confusion. Amen? He will give you truth. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. Jesus promised us that. So when we're confused, is this a liberty I should partake? Is it not? Seek the Lord and know that we're going to answer to Him one day. Look what it says in verse 10 through 12. It says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, and Paul quotes Isaiah 45, 23, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So that then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. This is a great section because, first of all, right away, he's already established who's the Lord of the dead and the living. Go ahead. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So we have Jesus as the Lord. He says, so that said, this leads me to ask again, brethren, who are you to judge your brother? <laughs> You're not Jesus. He's the one that's going to judge. And you know who he's going to judge? Everybody. 
He says, and let me tell you that Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah 45, 23. This is a statement of deity, in my opinion, that everyone's going to stand before Jesus. Jesus is the one that's doing the judging. Jesus said this in John 5, 22 and 23. He said, for, for God judges no one, but has committed all judgment to his son. That all should honor the son just as they honor the father. <laughs> This is interesting. When people say, only God can judge me, you know who's going to judge them? Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is God. <laughs> I love this. You're not God. Jesus is. You have to remember that as the Lord lives, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to God. The Lord and God are used interchangeably in this section, and I love it. Absolutely, you're going to stand before God because God the Son, Jesus, is going to be the one judging. And it tells us, knowing this, that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to give an account of ourselves. So people read this verse, and can I tell you what happens if you're not real familiar with the Word of God? You begin to think that what you might have to do is stand before God and give an answer for your good deeds and your bad deeds, and that's going to be your entrance into heaven. That's not what the judgment seat of Christ is. The judgment seat of Christ, the seat that we're talking about, is this thing called a bima seat. That word bima had to do with like the Olympic Games of the time in Roman Empire when there would be these competitions, and at the end of the competitions, there was the bima seat where that judge would give the rewards and the awards to those that have competed. Everyone was a winner but it was a matter of who's in first, who's in second, who's in third, in the sense of giving out rewards. No one thought, oh man, I might walk up here and be told I'm a loser and I didn't qualify. You've done it. You're here to get the reward. Does that make sense? The Bema Seat Judgment is different than the Great White Throne Judgment of Revelation 20. The Great White Throne Judgment is where those that have rejected Jesus Christ will have to stand before God and try to justify by their works why they can be saved. And can I tell you? The wages of sin is death. <laughs> No man can be saved by his works. We are saved by grace through faith. And I love this. I think it's uh, Titus 3.5 that says, Not by works of righteousness, but by his mercy we've been saved. You couldn't work your way in. But those that stand before him at the great white throne judgment, it's because they've rejected the only path, the only way, the only truth, the only life. But for us that have put their trust in Jesus Christ... We will appear before this judgment seat, and I believe it's in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 12 through 15. It talks about this being the spot where everything that we did in the Lord will be judged, our motives behind it. Like stubble, like wood, like hay, that stuff's going to be burned away if it was with bad motive. But if it was with the right motive, with the right heart unto the Lord being our master, that stuff's going to be purified, amen? It's going to be like gold, like jewels. And I love it because there's this reality. We get these crowns. And what do we do with those crowns? We cast them right back at the feet of the Lord. <laughs> we never deserved them in the first place, and yet the Lord rewards us. How incredible is that, amen? We don't deserve to be there, but here's the deal. Everyone deserves hell, and God has given a way to escape hell in the person of Jesus Christ. If you reject the only gospel, the only way, Jesus Christ, you will have to deal with the fact that there is a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels, according to Matthew 25, 41, and 46. It is an everlasting place. It is a place that God does not want you to go. That's why he put on flesh and came and died in our place. Amen? But you have to accept Jesus Christ. You can blame no one on that day of judgment if you have rejected Jesus. He gave you every opportunity, including this morning, to put your trust in him. Amen? 
And so knowing this, we sh it should cause us to live knowing that we're going to stand before the Lord. But again, this is not for condemnation's sake. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But as good stewards, we want to take the things the Lord's given us, His Spirit, His Gospel, His spiritual gifts, the armor of God, put these things on, use them to serve the kingdom, and someday we're going to stand there and, man, it's going to be a blessed thing to be able to say, Lord, I did the things that you called me to do. I'm excited for that day. It's terrifying still. I think we can all understand. That's a terrifying idea. But there's a peace to, in us and the believer that knows this is not a salvation judgment. <laughs> we have a hope that is guaranteed and promised us that if we die, we will be glorified with Christ if we live unto the glorified Lord Jesus. Amen? Look at what it says here in verse 13. This is a great transition verse. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. That's the first part. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. <laughs> Can I tell you, if this chapter ended at verse 12 and we heard no more on the subject, we would be like, man, this just leaves me to do whatever I feel comfortable with in the Lord, right? I don't have to worry about anything else. Lord, just tell me what to do and I'll just do it and I'm good, right? I can do any way, anything I want. Verse 13 comes in and says, hey, don't judge each other in those things, right? But now there's this greater law that goes beyond the law of liberty. That's the law of love. What he says here in this verse, again, he says, resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. You see, the previous topic of not judging others in their spiritual liberties, now we have this forthcoming topic of not stumbling others in our spiritual liberties. So as one partakes, don't judge them if it's a liberty thing. You're gonna, they're going to answer the Lord. But also, make sure as you're saying, oh, I, I only answer the Lord, you're not tripping or trapping everyone around you with your liberties. Am I putting something here that could stumble, potentially stumble a brother next to me? And see, again, we have to hold each accountable in sin, admonish one another in these things. But in this case, we've got to be careful not to trip someone up out of the faith over our liberty. Can I tell you, I believe I have both stumbled, and I know I have been stumbled at times in my Christian walk. Maybe all of you guys have experienced this in some way. It can be a, a, as simple as a word that someone says, <laughs> an action that someone takes, a movie or a song or something comes on, you're like, man, I can't believe they're listening to this, man. And it's funny, it's nothing to them, but they don't know that maybe the stuff that I've had connected with this thing, maybe they don't know that, man, these things, this thing's hard for me. Man, be careful. When you partake in liberties, those around you might stumble over these things. And see, I'll tell you, I've been stumbled and I have probably stumbled. I've got to believe it because I'm not perfect. We know this, amen? We're not perfect. <laughs> I'm sure I've stumbled someone. My desire is not to go out stumbling people in the name of liberty, but to make sure that I'm loving my brother and being wise on everything that I do. Amen? See, Jesus said in Matthew 18, remember he pulls that child, and he talks about being a child and making sure that we have childlike faith. And he also says, if anyone stumbles one of these ones, right, causes one of these to stumble, it would be better if a millstone was put around your neck and you're thrown into the ocean. That's mob mafia type stuff. I always say that's crazy, right? Like cement shoes, right? We're going to put this thing on you and throw you in the water. That's a terrible way to go. Jesus says it would be better if you experience that than to, to come and put a fence or stumbling to one of these little ones. And of course, he has a child in front of him. He's speaking of those that belong to him in faith. In Matthew 18, 7, he says, Woe to that man by whom offense comes. 
And see, I love that Paul phrases this so well in Galatians 5.13. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, but do not use your liberty as an appointment for the flesh or opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So many times I can get hung up on, this is my liberty, don't mess with my liberty. <laughs> but are you loving everyone around you as you're partaking in your liberty? Have you considered everyone around you as you partake in your liberty? Look at what Paul says. This is where he begins talking about this love, verse 14 and 15. He says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, well, to him it's unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. <laughs> These are heavy verses, right? Again, we end chapter, chapter 14 at verse 12. We're like, cool, let's go out and just enjoy our liberties. Leave each other alone, right? There's an element of that, but you also have to remember, you are responsible for God, your master, for how you handled those liberties. Did you handle them in love? Did you handle them in care with those around you? It says here again, verse 14, he, is, he knows and is convinced by the Lord Jesus that something is not in clean of itself. That first of all, he knows. Do you know how you find something, how you, how you come to know something? You have to get the necessary knowledge, instruction. How can you know something is unclean? Go to the Word of God. Find out if what you're praying over, what you're wrestling with, is defined in Scripture. That's the first thing. And as you go to Scripture, there's going to be very clearly many things that are said, these are outside the, the, the parameters of a believer. Don't act in these things. But there's other things, again, we've talked about them. Liberties. That we're not sure. We want to go and we want to make sure we're fully convinced. Can I tell you how you're going to be fully convinced? After you get that knowledge from the Word and the Holy Spirit gives you a peace in whatever that thing is, whether to do or not do, you will be fully convinced. Amen? So many of us are convinced without knowing. <laughs> I go, no, 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 no. I heard that I can have liberties, period. That's it. <laughs> no, no, no. I've heard that like, it's best to have convictions. That's what I've heard. Go read the scripture and let the Lord lead you. There's an element where we want to close ourselves off in either our judgment of others or in our personal liberties. Where we're not willing to let the Lord speak. Let the Lord speak into your life, into your liberties, and you will have a peace with the Lord that is going to be a blessed thing. But remember, there's nothing in and of itself outside of sin that is unclean. And he says he knows this according to the Lord Jesus again. Matthew 15, 21. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. That was the Lord Jesus. The Lord also appeared or spoke to Peter in Acts 10 when he told him that you shouldn't call anything that he's cleansed unclean. But you see... <laughs> The reality is that there are some that will call something unclean, and to him it's unclean. This comes back to people that have personal convictions. Can I tell you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there, and please don't hear this. This is my personal conviction. I'm just going to throw it out. This is going to be my big personal conviction for the day. <laughs> I know. You're like, no, it's not. You're going to have tons of them. This is one, okay? All right. Maybe we'll get two today, but here's my first one. I used to be totally cool with smoking cigars. I used to be fine with it. I enjoyed it. It was a blessed thing for me to partake this is, as a believer, I, especially in the world. I probably smoked too much in the world. But when I came to the Lord, I'd get paid every two weeks, and I'd go buy a nice cigar, smoke it on my way home. And this is what I'd do. And it was funny, because you know, the whole time I'd do this, 
my wife was always like, why do you do that? It's a waste of money. It's not good for you. It's all these things. I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Don't, don't mess with my liberty, right? My liberty. I'm driving my 2004 Cadillac DeVille like a, like, a, like a mobster with my cigar. Just think I'm the coolest guy in the world, right? And as I'm working through this, I had no conviction for the longest time. And let me be clear. I think about Spurgeon, who smokes cigars a lot, right? Spurgeon was a, was a commentator. You guys know about Spurgeon, right? Spurgeon is known to be a cigar smoker for most of his life. That's interesting. As he progressed in the Lord, you know at the end of his life, he stopped smoking cigars? And you know why that is? A cigar company ran an ad with his picture and said, you can smoke the same cigars Spurgeon smokes. And he was like, man, this is no good. They're thinking that I'm the spokesman of cigars when actually I'm the spokesman of the Word of God. I should be representing the Lord much clearer than I'm known for my cigar smoking. People don't talk about that part when they always talk about cigars. And again, you smoke cigars? Praise the Lord. Have fun. I wish I had that liberty, so I'm kind of jealous. Can I be clear? But <laughs> when I felt the Lord bring a conviction, not my wife. My wife was just smarter than me and probably onto it sooner. She usually is. But the Lord eventually, in 2015, I had been walking with the Lord at that point for seven years. And I remember having a cigar with two of my friends. It was August 19, 2015. That's how much I like him. And <laughs> the Lord said, no, no audible voice, but it was a conviction. It said, you can't do this anymore. And it was kind of this thing like, oh man, am I getting legalistic on myself? Am I letting two other people judge me or something? And for whatever reason, I was like, I'm going to pray through this. And for a few weeks, I'm just going to take a break. I'm not going to buy it next paycheck. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to seek the Lord. And as I continued to seek the Lord, it seemed like, A, that desire of sorts kind of became a thing that was like, ah, I could kind of take it or leave it. Why am I leaving it, though? Not for myself, because I feel like the Lord told me to leave it. And yeah, I tell you, just a few months later, I was called to come on staff at Pomona Valley as a pastor. And one of the first two, the two, two guys that I became friends with, both of them said, hey, man, I need prayer. I need to learn how to quit smoking. And I was like, man, I'm so glad I did this because otherwise they'd probably find out that I still smoke. I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I would be a total hypocrite now and then because I say, well, this is my liberty. I can do what I want. I wanted, can I be clear? I wanted no asterisk to my explanation of the fact that the Lord could take that from them. And I believe that the Lord gave me that personal conviction. It may not be yours, but he gave it to me so that I can minister to someone else in it. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, Go seek the Lord on it. Don't seek me. Seek the Lord. And as you seek the Lord, He may be setting you up to minister to someone in that thing. There are many things the Lord's done that with. The Lord has done that with odd things in the church. I know people that have done, done that with clothing, with the car they drive. They say, man, this is, I'm now setting a great example for whatever reason. These sound like crazy things because those are just like to each his own, right? But if we give it up in the sense that the Lord has laid it in our heart, not someone else, can I tell you, the Lord has a way of redeeming that thing. I don't know what your personal conviction is, and it may be something that seems so odd to me, but you need to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, what should I do with this? Are you going to use this for your glory? Whether I partake or don't partake, I should glorify you. But the Lord has a way of refining us over time, amen? Can I tell you, conviction never stops for the believer. <laughs> I love pointing at that and being like, oh, look at I stopped smoking back here. Who knows 10 years from now if I can point at something else that the Lord said, no, I'm, I'm taking that as well. <laughs> and I love it because when the Lord takes something, can I tell you what happened? I saved about $20 a paycheck. That was cool. <laughs> I feel like my lungs feel better for it. That's a good thing, right? And I feel like my wife respects me a little bit more if I'm being honest. It was like, man, maybe it was stumbling to her. Was I loving her as I said, no, I want this liberty? But there's something that the Lord had to work on my heart first. It wasn't to answer my wife. It wasn't to save money. It wasn't to get healthy. It was to glorify God. Amen? 
And now that's one of many. I'm sure I've failed on other things, many things. Don't hear me as a hero. Hear me as a knucklehead in that story, okay? <laughs> I wish I would have been quicker to answer that conviction, but the Lord's good, amen? He gives back those years that the locusts have eaten. <laughs> he redeems things in ways that we never expect Him to. But in this section, again, in verse 15, Again, it says, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Man, be careful to not destroy what the Lord is doing in someone's life with things that don't matter. There's so many things that we're like insistent on keeping these things or insisting on judging someone in those things. Man, love. Love is the greater answer. Again, we're not talking about sin, amen? I have to express that. I taught a study a couple years ago on liberties and people literally went home and went, I can't wait to partake in my liberties. Like, what did I do wrong, Lord? <laughs> so don't leave today saying I'm condemning you. Maybe I'm swinging too far. Let's find that middle on that, okay? Sin is sin, but make sure our liberties don't trump love, that love is the greater law. Look at 16 through 18. It says, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. <laughs> I love how that starts. He says, don't let your good, the good thing is the fact that you're glorifying God and your participation of your liberty, you would say. Thank you, Jesus, that you've allowed me to participate in this thing. It's not sin. It's just a liberty. He says, well, don't let that good thing become something that is spoken of as evil. The word there for evil is blasphemeo. That sounds like blasphemy, right? Don't think of blasphemy against God, but blasphemy against men, Re being reviled against men in this case. Men would look at you and go, man, that's not appropriate behavior in my book. Now again, they're not going to necessarily judge you for it, but what they're going to do is say, man, I can't do that. And he can. But what they might start to think is, well, maybe I can handle that. Maybe I can step into that thing. Maybe I can participate in that. And he says, man, don't do that. And can I, he says, the kingdom of God is not about these things. You know what the kingdom of God is about? Greater than food, greater than drink, greater than all these things. It's about this. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we talked about it last week. It's not easy to make peace. It takes effort, amen? To make peace with someone is to say, I'm going to deal with this thing that is dividing us. Can I tell you how we can peacefully deal with one another when it comes to things of liberties that are dividing us? I don't think the desire of the Lord would be we tell everyone to compromise up to my liberty. It's I compromise down to make sure I don't stumble you. I compromise to the lower standard, and the, uh, the higher standard, but in the sense of I'm going to come down to where you're at. Your narrow convictions. Again, this is not to please man's legalism. We understand that, right? This is to not stumble them away from the Lord. This is to make sure that as I'm partaking, I'm not stumbling people. And it says here that there's joy in the Holy Spirit, and he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. <laughs> Seeking peace and righteousness and edification of one another, do you know that's actually service unto the Lord Jesus Christ? As stewards of the mysteries of God, we should be desiring to edify one another and bring peace and walking in this. And as we do this, it's acceptable to God, who's our master. But remember, this is what Jesus said. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, you're going to be approved by God. But if you also do that, you're going to have a desire to love those that have been made in His image. And what that comes down to, again, is this law of love. I'm going to put you before me. It tells us in Philippians 2, 3, let each one esteem others better than himself. 
You're more important than me. Your focus on this study is more important than my focus on this study. If I'm going to distract you, I need to handle that. I used to always laugh because <laughs> Jen, my wife would sometimes look at me. I'd get like my, my gum out during study, be unwrapping. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need a piece of gum. She's like, that's so distracting, right? It's so loud. I'm like, I'm sorry. Just, why didn't you think about this beforehand? Go, go unwrap your gum beforehand. And it sounds like it's such a stupid thing, but it's funny. That little trivial thing serves an example of these big old things we do that distract people from God and get them focused on things that we just want to partake in. Gum, stupid illustration, right? Can I tell you how deep and how important this whole topic is, though? Sometimes we have to boil it down to these things so we go, yeah, that is kind of silly, huh? Well, how silly is it? Just because they're these big things that we want to hang our hand on. This is my liberty, man. Are you distracting? Are you tripping? Are you stumbling someone else? Don't let anyone judge you in that thing. But love others over yourself. Amen? Look at 19 to 21. We're almost done here. 19 to 21. It says, Therefore, let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So in this section, he says, what do we need to do? We need to pursue, chase the things that make peace. So first of all, come to peace. That's to put away the things that are dividing us. But secondly, edify one another. That is to build up. <laughs> Smooth out the foundation that is being broken through these, I don't know, miscommunications, wrong judgments, partaking in liberties in front of people we know we shouldn't. Whatever these things are, smooth that out, make peace. But now, build them up, edify them. To put others before you and say, man, I want to strengthen you in the Lord. I want to be a blessing to you rather than a potential stumbling block. He says, don't destroy the work of God for things like food. And again, <laughs> it's evil for the man who eats with offense. What this means is when I know that this thing could stumble you. I have a good friend that I meet with pretty regularly. And we meet, and he is a, he is a recovered alcoholic. Can I tell you where I don't meet him to do Bible studies? <laughs> don't, I don't go, hey, let's go to a bar, dude. Let's go sit at the bar inside the restaurant and do it there. Why? Because I don't want to put him there. That's not going to be a temptation for me. That's one of the things the Lord took from me like that. I, I can take that or leave that. When I came to the Lord, didn't need a drink anymore. But there's other people. That's their thing. That's, their, that's that stronghold that Satan is using to bring them back into the world. And one thing could tip them over. I'm not going to put you in such a situation. Plus, it would be weird to do a Bible study at a bar, right? That would be kind of odd. But that's just a very clear, open, obvious thing. Can I tell you, if I know someone that came out of the world, I, I was a musician. I don't know if you could tell, but I was a musician. And I used to have friends that, man, they were into some wicked, wicked music in the world. And when they came to the Lord, the first thing, did they just threw out everything they owned. They said, I'm not doing this. I didn't personally do that. There, I took inventory. There were things I knew I couldn't be listening to, amen? But I kind of went, no, like, there's still something. Some people went cold turkey. They said, I can't have any of it. If I knew that and told them, get in the car, I'm going to throw on this stuff that I'm comfortable with. It may not be vulgar, but it's just secular. That could be stumbling to them. These are things that I have to think as I go, man, what's the best thing? Can I tell you the best way to avoid this? I throw Bible study on my radio instead. That's not only going to bring peace, it's going to edify the both of us. 
The Lord put that on my heart years ago. I'm driving in my car for... Well, when I was in L.A., it's an hour everywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. It's an hour, right? It's at least one hour. So if you get outside of L.A., now you can move at a regular pace. Inside L.A., it's going to take an hour. That's a Bible study from Calvary Chapel, usually. <laughs> I'm like, man, I could be listening to a study there and a study home instead of listening to the same 12 songs I've listened to all my life. I don't know if you guys are like me. I just listen to the same music over and over and over. I don't know anything about any new people on the scene, right? I'm an old man like that. People said bad bunny the other day. I'm like, what is that? Like a fairy tale? Like, no, that's like the highest selling like grossing music artist. I'm like, I'm so out of touch. But here's the deal. I've also studied through the whole Bible by listening to studies in my car. And it's been beneficial because you know what I didn't do? I didn't go to seminary. <laughs> the Lord has given me these opportunities when I was driving to my marketing job back and forth for years. The Lord was teaching me at my desk. He was teaching me. And to me, my liberty of music, I kind of laid it down both not just for those around us, but I felt like the Lord had put that on me. I was like, man, you can be using your time better. Redeem the time, we're told, right? There's so much stuff that I just kind of take in and put on myself. That, man, it's, is it glorifying? Is it edifying? It may be allowed, but is it, is it really the thing that I should be doing right now? I just lay this before you, not as a guy that's trying to lay, I don't want to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. You take this to the Lord, amen? This is not for me to tell you what I expect. I feel like we're pretty, we're pretty conscious of not telling you what I think is sin and what you need to walk into. I'm giving you examples from my life that you can pray and seek the Lord and say, is there something in my life that I'm wrestling through? Is there something I need to go seek the Word on? Is there something I need to seek the Lord on? Can I tell you He's going to redeem it for His glory? Amen? Look at the last two verses. This is where we end. 20, uh, 22 and 23. It says, Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy or blessed, could be that word, is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. That's a hard statement at the end of that chapter. <laughs> Remember I told you when I started the book of Romans how a lot of pastors, not, not necessarily in Calvary, but I feel like outside of Calvary, a lot of people don't want to talk about the book of Romans. Because the, the, the board will tell you this is not how you get people in the seats by telling them that everything they do apart from faith is sin. To call out, Romans 1 calls like everything sin, right? Things that the world is celebrating and approving, Romans 1 says, no, these are sins. In this section, he says, if you partake, make sure that it's between you and the Lord in the sense that you're not condemned. What that means is, Lord, I'm coming to you. And we talked on Wednesday night here, prayer and worship, we talked about having clean hands. To say, Lord, the things that I have in my hands, these should be glorifying to you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm ready to receive from you as I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I'm not holding on to anything you don't want me to have. And there's liberties in there. Praise the Lord. He's given you a liberty and thing. Have that liberty and enjoy it. But it says, happy is he who does not condemn himself for what he approves. Don't let someone else condemn you in what has been approved by God. Amen? Don't let me condemn you if you're like, oh, dude, I was planning on having a cigar today. Cool. Go pray to the Lord and praise the Lord in it. If the Lord doesn't want you to have it, then seek the Lord in it. Amen? <laughs> but you might have some other thing. And the Lord's giving you liberty in it. Go partake as the Lord leads. Praise the Lord. Not sin. And not to drunkenness, amen? But making sure that we do these things. But can I tell you what at the end, what it says here again? If there's doubt, if you're not certain, then man, the Lord has given me a complete peace in this. That the Lord has given me the knowledge from His Word that I can partake in this. He says, then you're better not partaking. Because if you're partaking with doubt, it shows that there's not a clean conscience there. There's something in there that's saying you shouldn't partake in this. 
As a musician, one of the things we used to always say, I'd, I'd play drums, I would play bass, and when I was playing drums, they said, you know, I'd be like, man, I could put in a really like cool feel, feel right here, right? I could do some cool thing, but I, I had to think, is it going to distract from the song? Is it going to throw the bass player off if he's not expecting that, right? I got to think, there's a saying in music, it says, when in doubt, leave it out. So, in other words, if I'm playing, I'm like, I could play this thing. It'll be really cool right now. Mm, is it going to fit? Is it going to be the right notes? If it's going to mess things up and create dissonance rather than harmony, I should probably just leave it out. It's a good rule for music. Can I tell you in the Lord, it's a good rule for convictions and liberties. When in doubt, leave it out. I'm not talking about doubt from man that is judging you wrongly and condemning you. Amen? I'm talking about doubt in the Spirit. When, when you're driving and the Lord says, this is your last one, you're like, why? That's weird. Pause and seek the Lord. Am I supposed to leave this out now? Would you have me surrender this thing? And ultimately, if we know that there's a brother or a sister that we are around that can't handle this thing, in the name of love, we've got to relinquish that in that moment. I'm not saying forever, but you've got to be wise about who's around you. Amen? So many times, we are insistent on our liberty. Praise the Lord for our liberties in the Lord. I wish we would be more insistent on love. I've never had a conversation where I had to come to someone in church and say, hey, man, we got to talk because you're so insistent on love. <laughs> Seriously, right? We'd be like, dude, let's, you're a pastor now, promoted, right? Like, good, go, go do it. It's hard to do that. I've had to have conversations about people that are so insistent on their liberties or so insistent on condemning those liberties. Let me be clear. I have had to deal with legalism the same way Paul, when he writes Galatians and talks about who has bewitched you, that you would return to a, such a false gospel. <laughs> That you think you could be saved by your works. God forbid. But again, Paul also talks in Galatians about Peter, who one group would eat the meat, one group wouldn't. He's playing a hypocrite in certain situations. There's these ways that we mess ourselves up. If we do everything in love, I'll tell you, all that stuff goes away. <laughs> the biggest thing I feel like I've had to run into as a pastor in my years of ministry, not here at this church, but in general, is reminding people they have to love others as they love themselves. Too many times, it's like, man, I wish you would talk more about this. I'm mad you don't talk about that. It's like, do you already know that? Well, yeah, then why do you want me to talk about that? Right? It's like, well, I just like that. Well, someone else needs something different today. The Lord's leading this Bible study, I hope. Be happy for what's coming out of here. It should be the Word of God. It should be for them. Man, you may already know all this. I don't think so, because I didn't know all this when I taught this today. But if you know all this, then man, pray for your brother that doesn't know this already. Your time will come when you'll get what you need. Amen? Put others above yourselves. When you say, man, I just wish there was this thing or that thing, man, get involved and serve. <laughs> Do it. Put yourself secondary to everyone. Serve everyone around you. Love everyone around you. But it's got to start with loving the Lord your God. My last note on this study. We're done. The last note. This world talks about love a lot. And it's not the love of the Bible. It's not that agape love that puts others before yourself. It's you can love yourself first above everyone else and you can take care of yourself before everyone else. That's not Jesus' way. That's not God's way. <laughs> we as God's people need to love each other more than our liberties, more than ourselves, and we can have our liberties unto God but make sure we don't mess up everyone around us. 
Don't be judging everyone in their liberties. Amen? Does that all make sense? That's a he Cool. You guys are with me. I'm not sure sometimes, but I'm glad you are. That's awesome. I love it. During the week, I get texts. They're like, we loved it. I'm like, I thought that was terrible, right? Okay, cool. So glad you guys are here and you're hanging in here. Two more chapters of Romans, and I'm praying for where the Lord would lead us next. Just telling you, be praying that we would know the next book to go to. There's common logic says go to 1 Corinthians. I'm okay with that. There's a part of me that wants to go to Mark next. There's a part of me that wants to take a little break and hit the Old Testament for a little bit. We're going to see. We're going to seek the Lord. Be praying for wisdom, for our leadership, for myself. And so blessed that you're here. Let's pray.